Hey, thanks for checking out the So What Factor. My name's Randy Bennett. I'm a United Methodist pastor, and these sermons answer the question, I hope, so what? So what? Is God real? So what am I supposed to do with my life? So what does the Bible actually say? So in every sermon, it's my hope that you'll figure out what the so what is. But if you don't know, or it wasn't clear, feel free to find me on Facebook at Randy Bennett Jr., and shoot me a message. You can also email me at pastorrandybennett at yahoo.com. Be happy to hear your questions and, and, uh, and connect with you. So thanks for listening. Take care and God bless. Let us pray. Well, gracious Father, we give thanks for your word. We give thanks for your word made flesh in Jesus Christ, for your written word, the Holy Scriptures, and for the power of your Holy Spirit, which helps to write upon our hearts the good news of your grace and your truth, and it helps us to grow together in our love of Jesus. And so we just pray now that as we seriously consider your word today, you take the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, and make them wholly yours, that together in this place and space, we might learn more about your victory in Jesus and that victory you've given to us. These things I ask and pray in his name. Amen. Now, if you have not been here with us the past few weeks um, or since the beginning of the year, uh, I started a series on Mark's gospel, and I think it's fitting that we do a little bit of a recap before we get into today's message. So just quickly, some quick facts about Mark's gospel, just in case you didn't know. And if you do know, pretend like you didn't and, and talk to me about it afterwards and how much you learned. Okay? Okay, good. Now, listen, the gospel of Mark is an action-packed demonstration of Jesus' divinity and humanity, y'all. This gospel rocks. It's like Jesus is baptized and then it's boom, 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 boom. It's awesome. It's a great gospel. Mark is the first gospel written, and it's the source that both Matthew and Luke use to compose their gospels. Together, the three are called the synoptic gospels. It was written by a fellow by the name of John Mark, who accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey, and he went on to become the scribe to the Apostle Peter. So what we have here, in essence, is a, a sermon. It's the, the sermon of Peter that Mark heard him preach over and over and over and over and over, and he wrote it down. Now, We've been doing sermons from Mark, and that has been the title of the series, Sermons from Mark. Though I told you at the beginning that once I figured it out, I might change the name. And since each week has an A word in it, I think I'm going to call it the A theme. <laughs> Woo! I love it when a plan comes together. Everybody that is young is looking at me like I'm dumb. That's okay. Uh, the first, I was, I was gone the first week. I was uh, taking a little Christmas vacation, but if I had been here, I'd have called it the anointing of Jesus. The second week is the authority of Jesus. The third week is the acceptance of Jesus. The fourth week there was the agrarian or agriculture uh, of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the assignment of Jesus. Now, that's a great passage, isn't it? Jesus goes into Gentile territory. 
he, he confronts a demon-possessed man. He's not just possessed by like one demon, but he says his name's Legion. So there's a fella living in a graveyard, got 6,000 demons inside of him because a legion's 6,000 soldiers plus 120 horsemen. So this fella is full of demons. Jesus casts them out. And when Jesus casts them out of the fella, where does he go? Where those demons go? They go into the pigs. There were 2,000 pigs on the hillside. And those demons, they go into the pigs and the pigs rush down the hill and off a cliff and into the lake and they drown, all 2,000 of them. And I shared with you last week the humble confession that as I studied that passage, the only thing I could think of was this, Oh Lord, not the bacon. <laughs> and if I wasn't on this A-theme kick, that would have been the title of last week's sermon. But it wasn't, so I just included copious amounts of pictures of different pork products because I like pig. Now, because I do like to challenge myself, and more importantly, because I'm truly a peculiar person, I keep this A theme going, and I'm continuing it this week with this title, The Arisen Christ Foreshadowed. Arisen Christ Foreshadowed. Part one. Now, that there's a part one also implies that there must be a part two, right? In fact, there are three instances in Mark's gospel where the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is foreshadowed. Each focuses upon a different element of the full divinity and obedient humanity of Jesus, the God-man. In today's scripture lesson, we encounter this foreshadowing of the arisen Christ at the end of the narrative about Jesus resurrecting Jairus' daughter from death. And though the point of today's sermon, which I've not yet told you, um, comes at the end of the story, and thus the end of my sermon, I would be remiss if, as your pastor if we did not at least stop and consider some of the profound insights that happen along the way to the point of this sermon. So... On the way to the point, let's consider some insights from today's lesson. Are you ready? Oh, fantastic. That wasn't nearly as excited as I wanted you to be, but that's okay. We've got time. All right. Insight number one. A daughter of somebody. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now what I say next, I say not to offend, but just to bring you into the cultural context of this time in history. The little daughter of Jairus was only important in the culture of the ancient Near East because her father was the ruler of the synagogue. In other words, without her daddy, this girl was a nobody. Jesus, surrounded by a crowd of adoring fans, is begged by a man of great importance. <clears throat> Jairus was a somebody in the community. And he was begged by this man to come save his daughter. And Jesus obliges until a nobody interrupts the story of a somebody. 
A large crowd, they pressed around Jesus and a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, y'all, she came up behind him, kind of snuck up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, let me just tell you just a little about what's going on with her physically, okay? Now, I'm not a doctor, but um, I pretend to be one at home a lot. So here's, <coughs> here's the thing. Um, based on what all the scholars say, the, the woman's bleeding was probably uterine. So there's some uterine bleeding going on. That she's been bleeding for 12 years in this manner would have been debilitating, okay? By this point, probably life-threatening. She had spent all the money that she had on doctors to cure her condition, but they all failed. So I want you to think now with me a little bit about the suffering of this woman. She suffers physically because her body is literally shutting down from losing all that blood. She is suffering emotionally because she feels the shame of having lost all her money trying to find a cure by doctors who exploited her. She suffers spiritually because she is rejected because of the religious rules of God's people that deem her impure and do not allow her to participate in the religious life of Israel. And since Israel was a theocracy, to not be able to participate in the religious life of Israel was to not be able to participate in society, period. In other words, are you listening? This woman was a nobody. She was a nobody. And this nobody had the gall to interrupt the story of a somebody. So for all of these reasons, this woman was bold enough to risk touching Jesus' garment, but she was too ashamed to ask Him directly. After all, who was she but a reject? Who was she but a, a poor, nasty, unclean, no friend having, not even God loves her, nobody? By the way, I don't mean that. I'm saying that is the Mountain South interpretation of what this woman's life was like. If you don't know what Mountain South means, that means that's where I'm from. Appalachia, not Appalachia. I could launch into a whole sermon right now. I'm not going to. See, this woman, y'all, this woman was not in a position to ask anything of Jesus. So she snuck a touch of his garment and tried to fade back into obscurity. But once Jesus realized the power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? Y'all ever stop and think just how smart alecky some of Jesus' disciples are? What do they say to him? Jesus, don't you see all these people around me? Why are you asking who touched me? They're all touching you. Now, it's not like Jesus didn't know but he was, he was looking for her to make a faith response. That leads us to insight number three. 
a woman that was a nobody was a somebody to Jesus. She was a daughter. Then the woman, knowing what happened to her, came and fell at Jesus' feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Y'all, this is a great application. It's not the point of the sermon, but it's a great application. See, no matter how busy you think God is, or no matter how insignificant you think you are, Jesus always has time for you. Because to Jesus, you are a somebody. You are a son or you are a daughter. He's always got time for you. Always. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus. By the way, how do you pronounce it? You could pronounce it Jairus. You could pronounce it Jairus. Um, you, if you want the Greek, it's Jairus. But that, none of that matters, okay? Just thought I'd throw that out there. I want you to get what you're paid for. <laughs> they had cookies and hot chocolate between services, you know? I'm all keyed up. They said to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? In other words, they were just like, you know, Jesus is just an old teacher. Don't bother with him. That leads to our next insight. Jesus was more than a teacher to those with faith. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus looked at the little girl's daddy and said literally, Fear not. Believe. Jesus, who, while still half asleep, could stop the wind and the waves with a word. Who could send demons running. Who just miraculously healed this woman on the street only moments ago when she touched his clothes. Now ask the Father to receive the gift that only Jesus can offer, and that's faith. Pisteuo. Fear not, believe. And that gives us another great application, friends. Faith is a gift of God's grace given to us to overcome our fears. Faith is a gift of God's grace given to us to overcome our fears. Why? Because to be human is to fear. But to be born again through Jesus Christ is to no longer have the spirit of fear. For God does not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Faith is the gift given to us to help us overcome our fears. So with the words of the faithless now ringing in Jesus' ear, the Lord allowed only his closest three disciples to follow him to Jairus' home. And that's when we are introduced to the inner three, Peter, James, and John. And y'all listen, this is where the foreshadow begins, okay? Peter, James, and John, they're going to be with Jesus two more times as the Lord foreshadows his resurrection. In a few weeks, we're going to see them at the transfiguration. And then again before Easter, we're going to see them in Gethsemane's garden. <clears throat> when Jesus came to the home of the synagogue ruler, he saw the commotion with the people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, 
Why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. They laughed because she was dead. See, the child was literally dead. But what's death to the author of life but sleep? Jesus made the mourners leave. The text says he put them out. In other words, he said, get out. You're not any help. And he took his inner three, and he took Jairus and his wife, and he went to the dead child's bedside. And together with them, we now experience the arisen Jesus foreshadowed. His victory over death. Jesus took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum. That's Aramaic. It means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up. She didn't just like, you know, take her time waking up in the morning or something like that. She immediately went from death to life. And she stood up and she walked around. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anybody know about this. And then he told them, give her something to eat. Now this word there, arise, rise up, get up. It's a gay row in the Greek. And the word anistime means stand up, to stand, to stand again, to raise up. Brothers and sisters, these two words, a gero and an istime, these two words are used of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but not just for him. These are the words that are used to describe our resurrection as well. Giving her something to eat is important because it shows that this is not the little girl's embodied soul. It's not this disembodied soul. It's not a ghost. This person is now alive. This is a living person. Give her something to eat. And that goes on to foreshadow what happens after Jesus' resurrection. They give him something to eat, and that proves he's not a ghost either. We, we often talk about good news in Christian circles, right? The good news of Jesus Christ. But listen, brothers and sisters, this is great news. This is the great news of Jesus Christ's victory over death. You see, in the presence of Jesus, storms subside, demons retreat, sickness is healed, and death loses its grip. So why isn't everyone healed? And why do people still die? Listen. We have got to look beyond suffering and death. Suffering and death are temporary. We've got to look beyond suffering and death to the eternal significance of Jesus' power. You see, through the victory of Jesus Christ, the power of the kingdom of God is present, but not fully manifested yet. Does that make sense? The power of the kingdom of God is present right now, even though we're heading someplace soon where it's going to be nothing but manifest forever and ever. See, our God does not desire to temporarily restore things to what they once were, just so they can fade again. I'm never going to be 21 again. And the world is better off 
We aren't going back to the good old days because there aren't any good old days. Through Jesus Christ, our God delivers us into something brand new. We are going forward into the great and eternal day of the Almighty where the arisen Jesus is victorious. Now listen, in case you missed the point of the sermon, because I snuck it in there on you, allow me to reiterate both the sermon title and the point for you. The sermon title is this, The Arisen Jesus Foreshadowed Part 1, and here it is, Victory Over Death. The foreshadow in Mark's Gospel is that Jesus will arise victorious over death. You see, if Jesus had the power to raise people from the dead before He died, then certainly he must have the power to arise from his own death. And guess what? He did. But Jesus is not the only person to arise through his resurrection. By grace through faith, all who believe have also risen with Jesus, first through his new birth into our souls, and on the last day, at the last trumpet, into our new bodies. Therefore, the application looks something like this. Through Jesus Christ, we have victory. Through Jesus Christ, we have victory. Victory through Jesus graces us with a faith and a God who always has time for us. If you have never heard me say this before, hear it now. You got your listening ears on? Do you promise? Say, God is good. All right. God loves you and there ain't nothing you can do about it. God loves you and there ain't nothing you can do about it. God even loves your neighbor. Ain't nothing you can do about that. God even loves the people you don't. Ain't nothing you can do about it. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about that. See, to Jesus, you are a son or a daughter in his kingdom. Victory through Jesus graces us with a faith in God who always has the time for us because to God we are a somebody. Victory through Jesus graces us with a faith that does not have to be afraid of sickness or death. It's going to happen, but we don't have to fear it. You are human. You're going to get sick. You're going to die. It may not be in that order. You might be walking along just fine, and all of a sudden, it's done. It could happen. And if that wasn't sensitive enough, I'm sorry, but you know it's true. Everybody here is going to die. But you don't have to be afraid of it. You do not have to be afraid of it. And you don't have to be afraid of getting sick or any kind of illness. It could happen, but, but you don't have to be afraid of it. And here's why. Because you already have the victory. You already have the victory. Sickness is temporary. Isn't death permanent? No, death is temporary. Death is temporary. Because eternity with Jesus is forever and he's given us the victory. And that leads to our final application point, which is going to prove that death is temporary. Are you ready? Victory through Jesus graces us with a word. A word that every daughter and every son of Jesus will one day hear. Arise.
Arise. Arise. Jesus foreshadowed his victory over death. Then Jesus was victorious over death. And through the power of the Holy Spirit and by grace through faith, he promises the same victory to all who believe. And you know, it's not the closing hymn today, but I just happened to be thinking of it all week long when I figured out victory was what I was going to be talking about. I bet you can never guess what hymn I'm thinking of. Uh-huh. I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the that's right. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory. Beneath the cleansing flood. And this is the word of God. Seriously consider this day in the name of Jesus who's given us the victory. Amen.